He is risen. Isn't that awesome? Because He is risen, we, have, we will rise too someday. All those who believe in Jesus Christ are with the Lord now, and the promises of God are absolutely true from beginning to end. And uh, that's why we celebrate so big time on Easter. In actuality, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, but this is the climactic moment when we get to really focus on that. And I have a message for you this morning that's going to do that. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East, and it is really, really cool to have you here. It's good to be back, actually. I'm, I'm actually a guest here. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yes, let's hear it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I've, been, uh, I've been sick. If you didn't know that, then you're, you're, you're not out of the loop or anything. It's just, uh, it's good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you for having me in as your guest. Um, I want to just spend a moment before we dive into the message this morning and pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. I don't know if you heard this or not, but in Sri Lanka, about 190 people uh, were uh, killed in two different bombings in churches this morning as they gathered to worship the Lord and uh, brothers and sisters in in Jesus Christ. And uh, it is tragic. You will not hear it a lot on the news. You hear a lot of other stuff on the news. Uh, but it seems like the death of Christians falls way at the bottom these days. So I wanted to let you know that. And uh, I'd like to spend a moment in prayer for them uh, and for us as we look into God's Word this morning and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please? So, Father, we are so grateful that we have another day to gather. So grateful you've given us your Word. So grateful that you've given us your Spirit who leads us, who guides us, who convicts, who, who helps us uh, even go through tough times Um, like tragedy. Um, I think about our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka who are dealing with something they never expected. Uh, Around the world where Christians are persecuted and bombs go off and it happens at the the moments that that we seem to be celebrating uh, the truth of who you are. And um, so this morning, Father, I pray specifically for them that you would would pour out an, an enormous amount of grace on a group of people who desperately need it, who've lost family, loved ones, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, children. And Father, I pray that you would just be very kind to them, that you would convince them even more than us and all of our brothers and sisters around the world, Lord, that you would equally convince us that to be absent from the body is to be present with you. That you'd help us to be assured of that because we celebrate the resurrection, the day that you rose from the dead. And because of that, Lord, we can be assured that we too will rise someday. And if anything tragic like that happens to us or any, any uh, attack comes our way, we know that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We know that every promise in the book is ours. We know that every promise is true in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our yes and amen. We are grateful, Father, that you have given us assurance by giving us your word and your spirit that we belong to you and no life, nor death, nor principalities, nor rulers, nor height, nor depth, nor heaven, nor hell, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we celebrate that again this morning, may you be at the center of our worship. Take us, Father, to where we need to be this morning to hear your voice loudest. May you press on those areas of our hearts that we need pressed. May you convict. May you give us a boot. May you do what you need to do to encourage and build up and help us as we spend our time here this morning with your people and with you. Help us to listen well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the normal thing that you would say on Easter morning is, He is risen and you will respond. Now, that did not happen on this morning 2,000 years ago. Nobody was expecting that. 
Nobody would ever have given that response 2,000 years ago on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, not very many people understood that that was coming at all. Over and over, Jesus had proclaimed this. He had told people that three days later, if you tear this temple down, it's going to raise up, referring to his body. But over and over, people missed the message of the resurrection. And Jesus would say things like, I am the resurrection and the life. And they would go, yeah, that sounds good, but they didn't get it. And so when Mary went to the tomb on this morning, 2,000 years ago, the last thing she expected to see was the tomb to be empty. So I take you, as we go into the passage this morning, to this topic of victory in one word. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 20, verses 1 to 2. Marina already read this for us this morning. I would like to read it again and work through it with you this morning. To encourage you, to strengthen you, to give you hope beyond this world, let me read to you from John 20, verses 1 to 2. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, key. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, the one who, by the way, is writing this gospel. Oh yeah, I'm the one that Jesus loved. And said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Jesus has been in the tomb for three days now. Some people will ask on this Resurrection Sunday, what day did Jesus die? Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but this has actually been in speculation for years and years, centuries, what day Jesus actually died. Some people actually believe it was Friday, and some people believe it was Thursday. I want to give you a little bit of background on why people might believe it's Thursday versus Friday. Let me start with Thursday first. By the way, I'm kind of on the Thursday side, and here's why. On the day that Jesus died, it was actually in the month of Nisan. In this month, there are actually two high holy days. One is the Sabbath, and the other is the Passover. The Passover is typically referred to as Sabbath. So the Jewish people would clearly understand that Sabbath also refers not only to Saturday, but it also refers to Passover. Thursday would have been the night for Passover this year. It wouldn't have fallen on a Friday. And so Jesus would have, uh, would have not participated in the Passover. Remember, he had a meal with his disciples that was so abnormal, they were asking, why are we having this meal tonight? Because it's not quite Passover. They had the meal before Passover. Jesus participated uh, in this night. That's why we call it the Last Supper. This is the last time he gathers together with his disciples, but it is not uh, Friday, Passover. Typically, Sabbath would be on Saturday, so Jesus must have been taken off the cross in a real hurry on Friday. So Passover is also a high holy day and sometimes referred to as Sabbath. Saturday is always referred to as Sabbath. And if you look in Matthew 28 and verse 1, you will find that Mary came to the tomb after the Sabbaths, uses a plural term there. So it seems like two days have gone by that are referred to as the Sabbath. One would have been Friday and one uh, Passover and one would have been Saturday, the, the typical Sabbath. Also, John's gospel clarifies that the Last Supper was before the Passover. So the Last Supper would have taken place on Wednesday night. Jesus was taken on Wednesday night by the temple guards, beaten and killed by noon on Thursday, laid in a tomb before the High Holy Day, which would have been Friday. And Jesus would have risen from the tomb three days later. So you can go with Thursday. It fits in nicely into the timeline. There's some scriptural proof to that. 
But there's also uh, this other part of a, a group of people that believe that it might have been Friday. The reason why they believe it is Friday is because the Jewish calendar counts a part of the day as if it is a full day. Typically, you can say day would, ri- would last from sun down to sun up. So Jesus would have been buried, died and buried before sundown on Friday. That would count as one day. Jesus would have been on the tomb on Saturday. That would count for another day. And Jesus would have rose from the dead on Sunday morning, and that would count for another day. You can go with either one. It doesn't matter. But I thought it would be interesting to talk it over with you. And it's interesting in Scripture when you look at the terms in Scripture um, and see that plural Sabbaths in there. It's easier to understand. There were two days that could be referred to as Sabbath on this week. All right, back to it. Either way, Mary and the other women were prevented to coming from the tomb on the Sabbath. They could not visit the tomb during the Sabbath. So whether it was Passover or Saturday, they were not, they were not allowed to go to the tomb. It would have left them ceremonially unclean. They wouldn't be able to participate in the Passover feast. You don't do that during the uh, Sabbaths. And so all of those who hoped in Jesus Christ were left with no way to see the tomb, no way to visit the guy that just died, and all they were left with was their broken hearts, their sorrow to, to, to console them for three days. We know this because the disciples are actually out fishing, which is something you should obviously do on the Sabbath. I think that's a really spiritual thing to do, to go fishing. <laughs> These guys are out fishing because they, they are brokenhearted. They have no real hope for what to expect. And they didn't understand the words of Christ. Not before he rose from the dead. Also, when Jesus visited the men on the road to, Aram, uh, uh, the road to Emmaus, you remember the story as he was walking with them, they were brokenhearted, they were, they, were, they were sorrowful because they had just seen their hopes of the Messiah crucified on the cross. And when Jesus runs into them, he says, why are you so sad? This sadness prevailed through the land of Jerusalem among those who love Jesus Christ. This is the context that we enter into the story of Mary. Mary has spent two nights likely sorrowful, brokenhearted, in tears waiting for the minute that she can visit the grave of Jesus Christ. Like anyone who loses somebody that you love, you can't wait to go back to the site to see where they are. This is typical for us as humans who are convinced by death. So Mary can't wait to go back to the last place she saw Jesus, which would have been the tomb. And she waits. She waits for the moment that she can do it which would be after the Sabbaths. And in one of the other Gospels, it's told to us that Mary actually went to the tomb with a few other ladies. Some of them are named. She went to the tomb with the other Mary, the Bible says, would have been the mother of James, Joanna, another lady we don't know a lot about, and Salome, another lady that we don't know a lot about either. Few things are said about these ladies, but one thing is sure, they love Jesus Christ, and they couldn't wait to get to the site They saw him last, his tomb. These ladies were dedicated to Jesus like few others, but I want to suggest to you, Mary might have been at the top of that list. Because if you look back in Scripture and find out who Mary Magdalene was, you will find out that she was a woman who was possessed by not one demon, but seven. And it was Jesus Christ who rescued her. 
You can see this in Luke 8, verse 1. Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil, evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. How grateful do you think Mary was for Jesus Christ? She gets her life back. She gets her family back. She starts thinking in her own mind again. I don't know what it's like to be demon-possessed, but I've met some people I think might fit that category. They seem typically a little loose and crazy out of their minds. For Mary, she would have been so grateful that this one man gave her the ability to get her life back. And so it's no wonder that she loved him so much. In fact, a group, the other part of, of Mary Magdalene that we do know some of church history has kind of messed up her background a little bit. Some, some have said that she was a prostitute and things like that, but that all cannot be proven from Scripture. The only thing we do know is that she had these seven demons cast out of her, and she loved Jesus Christ. And because of it, she and a group of other women took it upon themselves to finance Jesus' ministry. Where you put your money shows what you love. And Mary Magdalene loved Jesus Christ. We're told more about Mary during this occasion than any other occasion through Scripture. We're told that she was there when they crucified Jesus Christ. She was at the foot of the cross. We are to assume that she was on the streets as she watched him carry his cross. We can assume also that she would have followed him to his mock trial and perhaps even peered over the crowds as he was beaten by the soldiers. As she sat at the foot of the cross watching this man that she loved put her hopes in die slowly the painful death of the cross, she would have heard his cries as his life ebbed away. And I have to think to myself, that perhaps is the hardest thing to watch. Your friend, the one you had hoped in, the one you had financed because you thought his was the message of hope. And now that dies on the cross with him. The burial had happened so quickly that she didn't have proper time to anoint the body. Remember, as he died, they had to get him in the tomb before the sun went down. Otherwise, it would have been during Passover, counted as the next day. And so as they put him into the tomb, they did so in a, in a fast way. When they bury somebody in this day, it was a little different. They would anoint the body with oil, and so it would have been like a mummified look, something that we're used to, where you, you wrap the body in cloths. Interestingly enough, Jesus is crucified and buried and wrapped in cloths exactly the same kind of way he entered our world, wrapped in swaddling cloths, laid in a manger, this time in a cold tomb. And as you put these uh, these uh, incense and this, 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 um, this um, the ferns and I can't think of the right word, the foliage, as you put all of these things, these spices into the wrapping, the wrapping would maintain its, its, its figure. And so over three days, this wrapping would have looked like a body was still in it, interestingly enough. She came back, hopefully, to make some last-minute changes, some last-minute improvements to the body of her Lord Jesus Christ. And she was not thinking clearly because she knew that there was a big stone at the entrance of the tomb. How was she going to move that stone? 
Typically, you wouldn't find a stone at the beginning, at the front of a tomb, unless it was somebody really important, and you buried some stuff in there. So you keep the grave robbers out. But typically, you wouldn't do this, especially for somebody that didn't have anything. That's why Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb. He borrowed the tomb just for a little while. Wouldn't you like to borrow a tomb just for a little while? (laughs) Joseph got his, Joseph of Arimathea gave him the tomb, and he gets his tomb back. Jesus only needed it for three days. She forgot about the stone that was at the, at the tomb. And so she got there. She left early in the day, hoping to get there right at daybreak when she could get there and still be ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean. And when she got there and the light was just coming over the horizon, she focused her eyes on the front of the tomb and the, the stone wasn't where it was when she left three days ago. The stone was off to the side. She got a little scared because she's thinking to herself, why is the stone missing? Something bad has occurred. And we enter the story again. Mary Magdalene freaks out, runs to tell the disciples somebody has stolen the body. Peter and John leave. They hightail it back to the the tomb. And here's what happens in verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple. They were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter. John's faster than Peter, right? John. <laughs> Think he hurt himself packing and patting himself on the back so much? Yeah. The other disciple, John, outran Peter, and, they, and he reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, pushed him to the side, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there in the face cloth, with, which had been Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. <laughs> what a downer, right? And then they just all went home. Let me give you a little bit of background here. The body would have been wrapped in linen cloths, taking the shape of Jesus himself. But there was a headband over him. This wouldn't have covered his whole face, but it would have covered a great deal of his face. We know this because when Jesus rose a young man from the dead, he sat up and started speaking. So his mouth probably was free. When Jesus rose from the dead, he passed through these linen cloths. It still held the shape of Jesus Christ. But the headband, this headpiece, was folded up neatly and put in a different place, as if it was walked away a little bit from where it should have been. Not like an Egyptian embalming, something a little bit different. By the way, probably 75 pounds of spices went into this burial process, which is why those linens would have taken the form of Jesus and solidified. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he passed right through those linen cloths. It's interesting also in Scripture that when Peter saw, the Greek word used is blepo, which means nothing to you other than it's just a typical word. Peter saw something, like you would see something in church, like you would see the screen. You blepo the screen, you just see the screen. But when John saw, a different word is used. You know what the word is? Theoreo, which again means nothing to you, except it sounds like a word you might know. Theorao sounds like theorize. When John saw, he theorized that something had occurred here that he might have known would happen in the past. Peter saw, and he didn't get it, but John saw, 
and he understood a little bit more. So, these men, totally confused, theorizing to themselves what in the world happened, they leave. And guess who they leave behind? Mary. What valiant gentlemen they were. Standing at the tomb, still brokenhearted, as the disciples wandered back home. And we pick up the story in verse 11. They leave this poor woman brokenhearted. She stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Listen, Mary was convinced by death just like we are. You don't expect to go to a tomb and see something like a risen person. You expect to go to a tomb and see it exactly as the way you left it the last time you were there. Mary was convinced by death. She'd seen Jesus die, especially the horrific death that he had just gone through. And she knows what death means. There's no coming back from this. She'd seen other loved ones die. And she was convinced by death. And I want to tell you, she's so convinced by death that angels show up and she doesn't even know it. Look at what happens next. Verse 12, when she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now keep in mind, nobody passed her going in the tomb. She stoops into the tomb after the two valiant gentlemen leave her crying in the corner. She walks into the tomb and sees two angels who weren't there before. Two men all of a sudden appear, one at the head of, and one at the foot of the place where they had laid Jesus. And they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. So sad. And I don't know where they've laid him. The body has been stolen. The man I put here, I love. He saved me. He gave me my life back. I just want to see him one more time. I just want to see the place where he was one more time. Just to make sure he's okay. Just to make sure I can make him smell a little better and spruce him up a little bit. I just want to make sure he's okay. So please, just tell me, where'd you take him? Doesn't it break your heart? Having said this, verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know it was Jesus. Listen, she's so brokenhearted. She doesn't just not recognize angels. She doesn't recognize Jesus. Have you ever been that brokenhearted? Of course, she never expects it, no more than you would, to end up at a tomb of somebody that you love and expect to see them standing there ready to have a conversation with you. She sees him, but she doesn't recognize him. Mary's reactions remind us of our own fear of death and her overwhelming sorrow remind us of our own sorrow when we lose somebody that we love. He doesn't even recognize her when, she's, when he speaks. Look what he says in verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, <laughs> she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Mary even volunteers to get the body of Jesus himself. There's no way she would have been able to carry him. But she doesn't even think about that. She just wants him back. And then we come to the best verse ever. Verse 16. 
Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. One word. And it's a very specific word. I mean, she thought it was the gardener. He's already said, why are you weeping? She heard his voice, but it wasn't until she heard him say her name. She had heard that before. She knew her name from the lips of the man she loved. And when she heard her name, she understood who she was talking to. Jesus' actions with this one word prove that death has finally died. There is no proof that we need beyond this one. All the proof you've been looking for to be absolutely sure that those who believe in Jesus Christ will never taste death is found in this one word, this one man standing at the tomb, looking at this woman that he loves, that he saved, and simply saying the words he's heard a hundred times before, but never so happy to hear it as she is this morning, Mary. Listen, every major religion in the world claims to have the truth. Every major religion in the world claims to be telling you the way to heaven, claims to be telling you that there is life after death, but every major religion in the world falls short at one point. Every one of their leaders has died, and you can go visit their graves. There's only one religion in the world whose grave is still empty, and that is Jesus Christ. It is the only religion in the world where the leader of the religion claims to have life after death and proves it by borrowing a tomb for three days because he doesn't need it any longer than that. Islam, Judaism, uh, Hindu, picket, none of them have a man who has not only claimed to raise from the dead, but has done so and left us with incredible evidence. By the way, if you're sitting here thinking, well, Craig, how do we know which tomb it is? How can we be sure that the tomb is empty? It happened so long ago. Listen, those are all silly arguments. And here's here's the biggest... I mean, there's so many different arguments I can give you as to why I believe that the tomb was empty. I'll give you the biggest one. The group of people that killed Jesus hated him as much before they killed him as they did after they killed him. And if they had his body, they would have easily produced it so they could shut these fanatical Christians up. But they couldn't produce the body. You know why? Because it wasn't around. This body had risen from the dead. The other thing I love about this is that Jesus knows how difficult it is for us to believe stuff. So although he did not need to do anything because he passed through his grave clothes, he could have passed through the stone. But the stone was rolled away. Do you know why the stone was rolled away? Not so he could get out. The stone was rolled away so we could see in. Mary didn't go to the wrong tomb Peter and John didn't go to the wrong tomb. The disciples didn't go back to the wrong tomb. The haters of Jesus didn't go to the wrong tomb. They all went to the same tomb, and God rolled the stone away so that we would know there's no body here any longer. Jesus, who you killed, has risen, and he has risen indeed. 
Only one religion in the world ever claims to have a God who's been incarnate, dies, returns from the death, and lives forevermore. And listen, it'd be one thing to pull it off, but Jesus bragged about it his whole ministry. And then, ta-da! He pulls it off. Proof that Jesus is God. Now listen, if you're here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, okay, fine, he rose from the dead, but why do you make such a big deal about it? Because I want to tell you, this is John's passion. Remember that guy that runs faster than Peter? This is his passion. Because if you read down a few more verses, you'll come across this verse. Listen to this in verse 30. Same chapter, John chapter 20, just 14 verses down. John writes and says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that, church, would you say this with me? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus rose from the dead so that you can have life. Jesus didn't raise from the dead because he was bored or needed to show us a really cool magic trick. He rose from the dead because you need life. He rose from the dead because he's victorious over the death, over death. And if you go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, you will find an appearance of Jesus Christ. And you know what he's holding in his hand? Oh, I love this. You know what he's holding in his hand? He's holding the keys to death. If you want to get out of death, I'd suggest going, going to somebody who actually has the keys to get you out of it. Jesus Christ has the keys to death. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And if you want to have life, you've got to go to a guy that, that has life to give. And that's Jesus Christ. No longer can we call him deranged or a lunatic. We certainly cannot call him a liar. Now we have to call him God. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered over death to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. Church, read that verse and answer me some simple questions. Why did Jesus die? He died for our sins. Easy. Why did he raise from the dead for our? You know what that means? He rose from the dead to make sure you're okay with God. Because you've got a lot of issues. You've got a lot of sins. And one sin is enough for God to not have a relationship with you. He rose from the dead so that he could eradicate all of the barriers between you and God, and you could have a relationship with God where God looks at you and calls you not an enemy, not a disappointment, but he calls you a son or he calls you a daughter. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. Justification is to make us right with God. So I want to ask you, church, do you feel like you're not right with God? Then you need to grab a hold of Easter morning. Because Jesus rose from the dead for the purpose of making sure you're okay with God. It has really not a whole lot to do with you at all. It has to do with Him taking your sins, washing them away, and giving you a right to be a son or daughter of the living God. The resurrection is your reminder that Jesus did everything necessary to cover your sins and make you right with God, and it worked. Or Jesus would still be in the tomb. Jesus' reason for coming, everything he taught, was true. You already know this because you know this verse. Probably everybody in this room knows this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's you. That's me. That's the power of the resurrection. R.A. Torrey put it this way, I look at the cross of Christ. I know that atonement has been made for my sins. I look at the open sepulcher and the risen and ascended Lord, and I know the atonement has been accepted. There, is no longer remain, there no longer remains a single sin in me, no matter how many or how great my sins have been. You already sang this in the song earlier. We are no longer sinners. We are saints. So on your way out, I want you to introduce yourself as, Hi, I'm Saint Craig. I'm Saint Dave. You can let your spouse say that if they know the Lord is their Savior. I'm Saint, uh, pick one, Saint Beth. That's the easy one to go with, right? Saint Christopher, Saint Brian. Listen, you are a saint because Jesus made you right with God. Without him doing this, you're messed up. You've lost. Without Jesus doing this, you are a sinner until you die. And there's no hope of doing enough good things that would ever impress a holy God. But because Jesus took your sins on the cross and rose from the dead, not only are your sins gone, but you're good to go. Three so what's. Number one, Jesus wins. That's the biggest so what. Jesus wins. Victory in one word. Mary, with her name being called, Mary knew Jesus has been telling the truth about life and death. With her name being called, Mary knew Jesus did not succumb to death. With her name being called, Mary knew Jesus was a promised one of God. With her name being called, Mary knew Jesus had the keys to life and death. With her name being called, Mary knew Jesus was God himself. With her name being called, Mary knew she had hope in this life and she had hope in the life to come. And with her name being called, Mary knew death doesn't win, sin doesn't rule, and uh, uh, evil doesn't reign. With her name being called, Mary knew she was victorious because Jesus is victorious. Listen to this verse, church. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Jesus has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of all those who fall asleep. For as by one man comes death, by one man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, thank God it doesn't end there, so in Christ shall all be made alive. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you're on the winning side. You have the victory in Christ. You don't need to win any war. It's already won. It's time for you to join the side that has already won. Number two, Jesus' victory then means my life can change now. His victory way back then means today my life can change. And if you read down in verse 18, the next verse in John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene, you know how her, her, she was already sold out to this guy. But now look what she starts to do. Mary Magdalene went, announced to the disciples, what would you do? What would you do if you were Mary? Abandoned by the, 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 these, these, these valiant disciples, crying your eyes out, seeing angels, turning around, seeing the Lord, having Him say the name that you love to hear, your own name. What would you do? I don't know what I would do. But for Mary, she couldn't sit still. She ran right away and went back to the disciples and said, listen guys, I have seen the most incredible thing. The guy that died 
just had a conversation with me. Jesus, who died, is risen. She tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said all the things to her. From defeat to victory, through hearing her one name, that one word, Mary knew she was on the victorious side. She knew she would never rot in a, in a grave. She would never disintegrate to nothingness. Mary knew she was on the side of the winning team. Number three, Jesus is your victor, but he wants to be your friend. Pick your favorite president of the United States. That could go a variety of different ways these days. I get it. I don't want to be political, but just pick a powerful guy like that, all right? He comes in the door, and he says, Brent, I was looking for you. Hey, do you mind if we have a conversation over here? And Brent's going, I didn't know you knew me. He said, not only do I know you, Brent, I know everything about your life. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I know the beads you used to wear in the 70s. I know the crazy things you used to do in college. I know the stuff you're embarrassed about. I know the stuff that you've done sacrificially for others. But more than any of that, I just want to be your friend. Let's talk about life. How about if he came up to you and said, the first thing you'd say is, how do you know me? Not only does he know you, he knows everything about you and he still wants to be your friend. That's ridiculously incredible. And no matter what you do from here, he always wants to be your friend. In fact, if you've been abandoned by your friends, he's better than that because he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he'll never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. And he has chosen you to be his own. And he calls you his sheep. And he is your good shepherd. He is your light. He is your water. He is your bread of life. He will give you blessings galore, and He will forgive every sin you bring to His presence. He knows you better than you know yourself, and He loves you anyway. That's what you get when you serve a God who knows your name. He calls us by name. Resurrection Sunday, this Easter, celebrates the death of death. And so my question to you, church, and guests who are with us, Have you really seen the Lord? Ah, you've seen Easter before. Like Peter, you look into the grave and you've seen it before. You've seen bunnies and eggs on the ground. You've seen that all before. But have you really seen what God can do? Have you seen what God did this day, 2,000 years ago? Have you seen it like John saw it? Has it changed your life? Because if you see it that way, it will change your life. How can you hear somebody who loves you that much and calls you by name and ever walk away the same? Christianity is not about a religion. It's not about liturgy. It's not about a good service presentation. Christianity is about Jesus Christ. He has come. He has conquered. He has risen from the dead. And he would love He would love to have a relationship with you like he had with Mary and John and Peter and me and everyone in here who knows him because he knows you. If you bow your knee to him and give your life to him, 
He can not only be your God, but he can be your friend. Let's pray. Easter, Father, is such an incredible moment for us. We go to way too many funerals. We go to way too many memorial services. It seems to us like death always wins. And when we turn on the news on Easter morning and we see our brothers and sisters thousands of miles away who have been killed by haters of you, it disheartens us because it reminds us we live in a world of shadows and pain. And so we cling on to Easter even more, like Mary that morning. We show up with the t- at the tomb with sorrow and brokenness, and we need a constant reminder that we serve a living Savior who has conquered sin, and He has conquered death. And because you have won the victory, we can claim it in your name. We all climb to heaven on your broken back. It's all you, and it's not us. And so, Father, if there's any here this morning that need to see you in a new way, they need to thereo you, they need to see you and understand who you are, may your Holy Spirit break through those walls and prove to them that you are not only a God who created the world, but you are a God who created them, and you love them desperately. Convince us, Father, of this one more time. Would you please, on this Easter morning as we celebrate a God who not only died, who not only lives, but who knows our name. In Jesus, in Jesus, Jesus' name I pray. Amen.